The NFL Draft is right around the corner, and the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny will get you ready as Mina is joined by former players, insiders, and analysts each week to talk about team needs, draft prospects, and the latest NFL storylines. That's the Mina Kimes Show featuring her dog, Lenny. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. Hi, I'm Brad Zabong, Sarah's husband. My dilemma is that my wife made me hike the Grand Canyon. And we did it. It wasn't always pretty, but we did it. And now I'm worried about what she might plan next. Wow. What an amazing wife to push you to do something that makes you feel so accomplished and strong, you know, to, to include you in a special bucket list trip with her mom, to encourage you to see one of the seven natural wonders of the world close up. I mean, come on. She sounds great. I bet you can't even remember the soreness in your legs when you were uh, when you were hiking. I bet you can't remember it at all. I bet the only thing you can remember now is the beauty of the canyon and the great memories bet you won't even ever be able to recall exactly how much it hurt to i'm sorry what you did video check-ins during the hike up mm. holy shit this sucks i've come a long way still have a long way left to go it sucks apparently we have about two hours left on the hike which might as well be three days nice view but good gravy all right so there's about a mile left I feel like a bag of penises, but powering through. Hey Siri, am I gonna survive this? Oh shit, wrong button. Almost there. It's been rather hellish. So we made it to the top. Everything hurts, particularly my calves. <laughs> a bag of penises. You're a good sport, Brad. Um, as for what I have planned next, we'll see. <laughs> That's what she said. Hey, welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Today's episode is a recap of my amazing Grand Canyon trip with my husband and my mom, a bucket list item for my mom and me. We'd been thinking about it for about 15 plus years. Uh, we finally booked and uh, trained for it and completed it. And I'm super excited. I've got two guests on today to add some color to the story. I've got our guide, Jeremy, and Randall, who's the husband of the super nice couple that were in our little small six-person hiking group. Um, and they're going to share stories of great adventure, grave injury, and high risk. Uh, we're talking scorpion bites, helicopter rescues, motorcycle accidents with missing fingers, trailside emergency IV drips. Yeah good stuff, but I've gotten ahead of myself. Let's go back to the beginning. So after winning the lottery uh, for a spot at Phantom Ranch, it's this really small, impossible to book hotel at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Uh, my mom, my husband and I uh, were hadn't even really started prepping for it yet when we saw our reservation get canceled due to COVID in 2021. Um, and so we considered sort of putting off the trip, continuing to try to win the hotel lottery again. Um, but I was starting to get worried as I'm getting older and my many injuries are getting worse. My mom's getting older. Uh, so I asked for some advice on Twitter. And shout out to this guy, Greg Brubaker. Um, he suggested that we could use Four Season Guides um, with a Phantom Ranch attachment that they would already have gotten in a lottery. Uh, there was no hotel availability, but we did see that there was an option to do a three-day trip down with camping 
two nights at Bright Angel Campground next to Phantom Ranch. Uh, and thankfully, my 70-year-old mom was down for a couple nights in a sleeping bag. And my uh, my husband, Brad, who's not really a fan of camping, or hiking for that matter, uh, begrudgingly agreed as well. So we booked back in December, and uh, my mom's first prep was she felled a tree branch at her house in Michigan, stripped the bark, and then whittled into a walking stick that she uh, she actually had to ship out to the Grand Canyon. She couldn't uh, carry it on or, or, or pack it as luggage, uh, which was really cute. Um, more importantly than the, uh, the whittling, we had three months to get in shape for this super strenuous hike, nearly 5,000 feet down on a really steep seven plus mile trail and then nearly 5,000 back up on a slightly longer and slightly less steep trail going up. Um, And you got to know all the stuff. You got to layer up because it gets hotter as you go down. Actually, usually like five and a half degrees or so with every 1,000 feet lost in elevation. So you got too much on when you're going down and not enough to take off. You can get super hot. Uh, You can run out of water. You can have terrible blisters. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. Now, I'll just set this up by saying, for some folks, it's really not a big deal. Um, in fact, my science teacher took me and a small group of uh, of us in seventh grade, and we went down and up in one day. Like, legit. Uh, that is not recommended, though. It is really not recommended. Um, there's over 300 helicopter rescues every year, plus a bunch more serious incidents that are avoided only with intervention from guides and rangers and others who step up when they see someone who's in distress or might be headed for that. Just in the month of September 2021 alone, I found that rangers responded to 216 hiker assists, 51 search and rescue incidents, and 37 helicopter medical evacuations in the Inner Canyon. So things can be simple and easy for some people, but there is plenty that can go wrong. In fact, we were driving out from Phoenix up toward the canyon, and my husband's mom messaged him uh, a story about a woman who had just died the day before in the canyon. So uh, not really the info we were looking for right before our trip started, but a good reminder uh, to be very careful. Um, And honestly, while I can sort of shrug and point to people who make it look really easy, I think it's something to be proud of. in our little ragtag group, we we had a 70-year-old badass mom. We had uh, Brad, who's cardio-hating, barely-training, lanky-ass dude. Uh, and then me, middle-aged, middle-aged wash-up with a torn Achilles and a midget calf, two bulging back discs, a herniated neck disc, a wonky shoulder, totally screwed-up kinetic chain. Uh, we made it down, and we made it back up without incident. So we are very proud of ourselves. Um, and I have to say, like... It's not the kind of trip where in the moment every second is bliss, right? It's not laying by a pool while someone brings you fruity drinks. Uh, it's a different kind of achievement. There's something very special about assigning yourself a challenge, getting nervous about it, uh, training for it, prepping for it, and then feeling the pride of completing it. Um, and, and there were certainly plenty of folks that humbled us, like the ones that were running down the canyon, but plenty who reminded us that we were very grateful that we that we trained and prepped for the occasion and very grateful to have a guide with us. Um, and you'll hear about at least one of those people that made us kind of do the, uh, the old uh, proverbial uh, few when we were down there. Uh, when I talk to my guide, Jeremy, you'll hear that story. Uh, but first, you're going to get to meet Randall. Uh, one half of Randall and Joyce, the Madison, Wisconsin couple who made the trek with us. He is quite a character. His stories are wild, so be prepared. Uh, And don't forget to stick around after Randall and Jeremy for some updates from our Do crew. I got to figure out what my next Do crew assignment for myself is, too, now that I'm I'm all done with this one. All right, here's Randall. 
That's what she said. I'm uh, Randall Simon. My friends call me Randall. A lot of people call me Randy. Um, I'm 69 years old. I was born in 1953, and I'm from a family of 12 kids. I have seven sisters and four brothers. Um, I graduated from high school in 71. I considered myself uh, a little bit of an athletic guy. I played football, and um, we, we won the league that champs as a senior, and I, track, I was a state qualifier in the high hurdles. And um, after high school, I played uh, slow pitch softball. I played uh, men's touch football, which ends up to be basically tackle football <laughs> right. for three to four years. Um, I took seven stitches uh, in my chin in a fight in a touch football game. And a side, side note of that is I played with two Vietnam vets that were medics and they wanted to give me the stitches on the sideline. Oh, boy. That checks and, out. Uh, Luckily, I had a sister there that would refuse, refuse <laughs> the service from them, but broke a hand in slow pitch softball. And um, let's see, I played uh, winter slow pitch softball uh, for some years. And actually, uh, Poinette, Wisconsin had a world winter slow pitch tournament, which we one year we placed third. And uh, I played enough years there that and had a good enough batting average. I was a pitcher and I'm in the World Slow Pitch Softball Hall of Fame. Nice. So how about that? So you're a you're a, an athlete of all kinds. You've been active forever. At what point did you and your wife, Joyce, hatch up the idea, we're going to do this Grand Canyon hike all the way down and up? Oh, I would say it's only been a couple of years or maybe less. Um, it was just something that I had on my mind. I never really spoke much about it to her. Um, we've been working out, you know, physically, uh, going to gym, gyms for some years and, um, just thought that it was something that we could get done. And when I mentioned it, she was all in. So, um, that's how, how that worked. And then we tried to figure out how we could get it done. And we contacted the four seasons and, uh, they basically, uh, we got our name in, uh, in a drawing, and they kept an eye on it month by month. And I don't know, it was you know, maybe six or eight months it was in and we got drawn to nice. go. And, and we said, yeah, absolutely. So from then it was all planning. Right. Yeah. Four Seasons, not the fancy hotel. Uh, they were in no way involved. Uh, they, they were involved in a massage that I got after the trip. But Four Season Guides is the group that we all took down together so you guys had a bit more runway than we did. We slid in at the last minute there. Um, but so you, you, you're doing all the prep and the work for it and you're, you're training. Um, you're both in your sixties. So, you know, it's, you know, going to take a little bit of, uh, of extra training to make sure you're ready to go. It's about seven plus miles straight down over about 5,000 feet elevation camping at the bottom and then uh, 4,800 or so back up across nine and a half miles. So it's, it's more than the average person could do without putting in some work, but you, Randy, had a couple extra things that might have slowed you down or potentially would have prevented you from signing up in the first place. I think it would prevent most normal human beings, but you, uh, you're a wild man and you have no shortage of stories about various injuries, uh, including a couple tips of fingers lost in a motorcycle race on ice. Is that the correct? Uh... Well, actually that one was a hill climb. Okay. So I flipped the motorcycle backwards and I, it fell on top of me and the Ugh. engine was going really fast. Uh, and my, two of my tips of my fingers went through the chain and sprocket in the back uh, and just gross. clipped them off. 
So um, the ice race was a separate incident. Were there any serious yeah, injuries that resulted not, from that? Uh, no, that, okay, that good. was just, that was just. <laughs> you emerged unscathed for once. Yes. Okay. So tell us the, well, it's a really a triad of things that were mitigating factors and deep risks for you to complete this Grand Canyon trip. Well, um, when I was uh, probably in, I would say in 75, I did tear my ACL in my right knee. How'd you I do just, that? Yeah, it was in a backyard softball game with some nephews that I had. Okay. Uh, and they, back in the day, they would tear you pretty, pretty good open. And I had the, they had the opportunity to either try to rehab it or have it fixed. And I decided to rehab it. Well, um, I did. And the doctor told me back then that I would come back to see him when my knee bent backwards the other way. Mm. Um, and that did cross my mind going down the Grand Canyon oh. on which way my knee was going to was going to bend. So you um, had it fixed, but it was in the 70s. So it wasn't a the way ACLs can be repaired now. It's right. sort of uh, no, a they, mess in there. Yeah, they never did fix it. Oh, I, I chose not to have it. You fixed. chose not to get it at all. Oh, right. Goodness. So I just okay. rehabbed it. So your ACL is not attached. It's gone. Yeah. Okay, good. So no ACL yeah. on the right leg. You're right. Uh, tell us about the left. <laughs> well, the left, uh, it was probably, I had a few drinks. It was at Anissa's <laughs> uh, birthday party. And I could always do the jump splits until I was 55 years old. That <laughs> evening, for some reason, I had to do that again. And, and who would, how would you fit the jump splits in on a polka band, Sarah? Oh, boy. I, okay. You know, yeah. I've never I, tried that combination. I've done a lot of splits at a lot of parties and weddings. Uh, Brad was really yeah. keen on me hearing this story from you so that he could use it as a warning mm -hmm. for me to prevent future splits. But I have not done the splits to a polka band. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I instantly sobered up and uh, <laughs> it was time to go home. Oh no. But unfortunately the doctor, I don't want to say misdiagnosis, didn't diagnose that it had happened. He so this was, I, this was a hamstring that you felt right when you dropped into the splits. Oh, immediately. It oh. was so painful. I couldn't, it was the worst. It oh. was, you know, it was bad. So I, I left the doctor and two days later I came back and my thigh was twice as big and full of blood. Oh, and uh, he rushed me to sports medicine. They took a, a picture of it and said that the muscle had died, so they couldn't reattach it. So, it died because it was just know, a couple of days of it had it had no ripped blood. off. It had ripped off, and then you hadn't done anything. So it had no blood flow. So oh. it died. so um, when I looked at it, I, I asked him. It was like a size of a penny a round circle. It was a little jagged on the edges. And I asked him what that was. He says, that was partly bone that came off my H bone oh. off my butt bone. So, so oh. then I, I rehabbed it. Uh -huh. um, and I was a home talent baseball coach, which is uh, amateur men's baseball. So it gave me the opportunity, lots of crossovers, lots of skipping, lots <laughs> of balance with your eyes shut to try to get the twitch the two muscles that were left needed to have the enough twitch to make you balance. So anyway, um, I was right, told so, I couldn't run. So, right. Well, you don't have a hamstring on the left, so that's nope. a big part of running. Okay. So you've got no ACL on the right, which is particularly important going down as you try to stabilize mm -hmm. yourself. But I would imagine the hamstrings pretty big in terms of you're trying to get the glute that's kind of firing to, to right. work with the rest of the muscles in your legs. So describe to us what it felt like going down 
5,000 feet for seven hours. Okay. Well, <laughs> when you, well, you know, when you stopped for lunch, I didn't, yeah. I didn't show up right away. Right. Yeah. I was behind you guys. I felt like I was walking on marbles. Um, I oh. had a really tough time. Um, I think my, my upper body strength helped with the poles because basically I was trying to go down the steps easily and, and I didn't want to jerk my knee loose or lose it or same with the hamstring. So um, I thought at some point I wanted to do this trip before the window of opportunity closed. But as I was going down, I got halfway down. I thought, well, maybe it's closed a long time ago. So, <laughs> but I kept the faith. You made uh, it. We were a little faith. worried, to be honest, a little yeah. worried. Uh, it was not on your intake form that you had no ACL or hamstring. So our guide was a little surprised when you revealed that information, but that explained uh, the slower pace down. So we make it all the way down. And then, of course, the fear is you're going to go to sleep in your tent and wake up and everything is going to be so much worse. How did it feel the next morning when you woke up? Um, I don't know. I, I guess I was looking at everybody else around me. You know, and I knew that I would be stiff and sore. Yeah. But then I think it even showed on you and you and Brad and, and you know, in Joyce, you know, yeah, you guys felt it too. So I was okay. I, I just thought, well, if I can walk it out, I'll be fine. And I kept believing the stories that it's easier going up than going <laughs> down. So um, yeah. anyway. Depending and, on the person. A lot easier going down yeah. for me than up. But <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So then we're headed up. We've camped for two days. We did a short hike, maybe four or five miles uh, on the day in between on Friday. Um, sometimes people do much more serious things on that day, but we all kind of agreed we would rather take it easy and relax mm -hmm. so that we'd be ready to get back up. So we have to wake up around 445-ish, 5 a.m. on Saturday to start going back up. And it's, it's nine and a half miles and it's really a lot of elevation, especially at the end. So you decide midway up, that part of the hike to reveal the third aspect of your situation. So go ahead and tell us that part. What's that? Uh, the <laughs> AFib and the irregular heartbeat, just a small, <laughs> tiny thing that may yeah. or may not be a complete well, catastrophic event halfway up a mountain. Yeah, I'm on, <laughs> I'm on blood thinner and I do have AFib. Um, <laughs> my AFib did bother me going down. Really? Um, yes. Unfortunately, going out, I, my heart rate was okay. So that helped me get through that. So part, part of my problem going down was the AFib head kicked in. And I was, I want to say that I had 165 heart rate mm. with the uh, AFib going, but that's part of it is the quiver that's happening in, in the, uh, in the valve. So um, anyway, it's, it's hard that's to scary. get oxygen and so on. Yeah. yeah. So, so tell people who aren't familiar exactly what AFib is. Um, it's, it's, it's a message that gets sent from your brain that, that uh, makes a valve quiver. There's a couple of different types. Uh, mine does go away. I don't need to, some people have to have a shock to get it, their heart back, rhythm back in. Mine does go in and out. So I'm lucky that way. So that's, you can just feel it some. when it's, oh, when it's yeah. not right. Yeah, I know. And I can't, I, you want know, to exercise. I do exercise through it. Um, and I do that doesn't a, scare you. That would scare it, the hell out of me. Well, I it's happened for some, some time. So I'm like in a functional integrated training where I lift weights and so on. Yeah. And I don't really feel dizzy, you know, with my head down and so on. <laughs> right. But, um, 
anyway, they didn't ask you're if crazy. I had AFib either. So right, I you're guess. you're crazy because I mean, of all places, you don't want to be dizzy or potentially have a wrong step. A side of a giant canyon is a good spot to make sure that you're well aware of your surroundings well, and not potentially collapsing. I hugged the, the wall. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you're crazy. Okay, yeah. so you get to the top. Um, it's again, it's, uh, the first four and a half miles is not so bad. It's only 1800 feet. So a lot of it's even or a slight incline, but then you get to, and by the way, 1800 feet for an average person going hiking, that's, that's still a lot. That's a, that's a lot of, of upward climb, but then over the last five miles, it's the rest of the 4,000 feet. So it's Mm -hmm. very steep. Uh, when you got to the top, how are you feeling? That was also your 69th birthday. So you celebrated by punishing yourself with a, with an eight hour hike or whatever it was. How were you feeling? I was feeling fine. (laughs) Yeah. It was, you know, I, I think the trudge to the car was the toughest part (laughs) Right. after you thought, Hey, I made it, but I'm not there yet, but (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a long pull. And I think you and I had talked earlier uh, that day that uh, basically the energy level for me was what I struggled with. You know, I, it wasn't like my knees hurt, my hips hurt or, or anything. It, it was just basically, man, this thing just is tired just, legs. It's a long time. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It just yeah. kicked my butt. Yeah. So tell us about the birthday celebration. I believe it involved a roast chicken. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I, so I stopped, uh, we stopped and they got a roasted chicken and I don't kill drink. Oh, ice an ice cream sandwiches. sandwich. Yeah. So, Did you get wine? Is that Joyce no, over there? Like Joyce yeah, chiming Joyce. in. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Joyce. Yeah. She was, she was really happy. It was like, we just, we devoured that chicken and, yeah. and then we passed out. The ice cream sandwich so, was clutch. You gave us the idea. So we, of course, followed suit. We were we, yeah. we pulled up at the grocery store as you were leaving and we went in and immediately housed some ice cream sandwiches as well. We bought a bottle of rosé and went and watched the sunset and went to dinner, but we were almost falling asleep at dinner. We were like yeah. ready for ready for bed. Um, all right. So what's next on the list? Because I know you're not stopping now. I'm sure you've got some other terrifying thing that you've got set to do. Uh, at this point, we don't, um, <laughs> but we're going to get around the, the get around the states a little more. We have that planning, but I, I think I won't be fearful of any uh, hikes that we have to do, but I'll come up with something and then I'll let you know. Okay, where great. We're going to go and what we're going to we'll, do. Will, will Joyce get to chime in on whether she fears for your life or does she always just have to kind of hop along for the ride? Well, I don't know. She said she was worried about me, but <laughs> I would think, but, but halfway down <laughs> when they said it was lunchtime, she just left me. You know, so <laughs> she did. She, she did. Yeah. She started hauling ass for that sandwich. She likes to eat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I have to say, I mean, my mom is perfectly healthy. She doesn't have any of those things. And I was still worried just because you just never well, know when someone's 70 and it's a cliff and the wind blows or they trip. So I'm, uh, I'm just, it's incredible that you did all it with all that. That's wild. She did also. I was so impressed with your mother. Um, She's you know, she kicked, she kicked our butt going <laughs> yeah. up the hill and down. Kicked so yeah, yeah, she's, she's a superhero. Yeah. Uh, well, Randall it was so great to meet you guys. It was so fun to share the experience with you. And I'm glad we didn't know about the AFib until the very end. Uh, so we didn't have to okay. worry as much as you and Joyce had to for the whole yeah. trip. I don't worry <laughs> about it. Like I told you. It's- all right. I tip over, then I guess that's it. So <laughs> you went it out. It is. You went out doing something good. That's right. Uh, well, happy birthday, and do let us know next time you, you plan something crazy so we can I hear will. about what body parts you lose. 
Okay, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> nice talking to you, Sarah. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so that guy with the with the death wish, um, plus his lovely wife Joyce, and then our ragtag crew of my mom, uh, my husband, and I, we were all basically the responsibility of our four season guide Jeremy Williams for the three day trip. And um, Brad was delighted to discover within minutes of setting off down the trail that Jeremy talks as much as I do. Uh, my mom said later, Brad turned to her and said, "Well, Sarah has a new friend." Uh, so we talked about everything from music to politics, Grand Canyon history, some of his wildest stories from all of his years as a guide. And as I was talking to him on the trip, I knew he needed to come on and and, and share some of them, everything from animal encounters to medical emergencies. So uh, here's my chat with Jeremy. That's what she said. Excited to bring in the man that kept us alive uh, and prevented us from not eating enough salt, not drinking enough water, falling off the side of a cliff, walking too fast, walking too slow, getting eaten by an elk or a squirrel. Uh, he was the man in charge of everything. Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, tell everyone uh, how long you've been at this whole Four Season Guides gig. Uh, so I've been working for Four Season Guides since 2009. Um, previously I, I moved out to the Grand Canyon working at the North Rim Lodge and, um, just kind of pivoted into guiding because I wanted to, to try to stay in the Grand Canyon area and just kind of fell in love with the place. And, uh, this, this fell into my lap and, um, it's been a perfect match ever since. Fell into your lap quite literally. You were working in the medical field and you just were burnt out after Katrina and you get a call that you had no idea was coming and you did not know what it was about. Explain that phone call. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my sister is a classic big sis. She knew that uh, I needed a change from uh, being in Mississippi where I was at. And uh, she applied for a position uh, for me at the, the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> And I found out about it when the human resources director called me <laughs> and, and offered me the position that she applied for. And uh, essentially five days later, I was uh, at the North Rim of the Grand Canyon and completely blown away. Wow. Sister knows best. That's wild. Don't get any ideas, though, people who are listening. I'd say run it by your sibling first. I don't know if we need to apply for jobs for our siblings uh, and hope it works out, although it worked out. It worked out in your case. Um, OK, so you don't just do the Grand Canyon, though. You do. Um, how many different places are kind of in your little uh, repertoire for, for four season? 
Uh, my specialties are definitely the Grand Canyon and Yosemite. Those are the two parks that I'm most passionate about. Uh, but we work in pretty much every national park in the state of Utah. And so here uh, I'll do two more trips in the Grand Canyon and then I'll spend the first week of May uh, with some clients at Canyonlands National Park. I, I specialize in backpacking trips and I tend to spend uh, three to seven days with, with people Sometimes longer than that, but usually three to seven. And how many trips would you say you do a year? Because you were turning around after hours, you had one day off and then you were right back on the trail while I was, you know, walking like I'd ridden a horse for a couple of days <laughs> afterwards and you were right back at it. So yeah, how many how many trips a year? It's old average. I do about 30 to 40 trips uh, a year. It really, it depends. I'm shooting to get about 150 to 170 days in the back country. Wow. And, and so it really depends on how long the trips are that I'm doing with people. But since I'm more into the backpacking um, side of things, you know, my trips can be everything I have coming up is five days. Got it. And you don't have to train anymore, right? Because you're just working all the time and that just keeps you in good enough shape. In the winter time, when I have um, some downtime, so to speak, uh, I definitely know about it in the spring whenever <laughs> I start walking again and I'm right. carrying a backpack. But when you get in the routine of things, like for the month of May, uh, I'll probably spend 23 to 25 days on the trail. And you kind of you kind of get in machine mode where you just you're doing one after the other trips and it doesn't affect you with the fatigue the same way it might uh, say when I'm just starting my season at the beginning of March and coming out right. of February and February, having a little time off. And you're about to be 39 and you've been at it for about 15 years. Well, I appreciate that. I'm about to be 40 oh, okay. uh, at the very end of May. And, and so, yeah, um, it's something that I've been doing. Bottom's going to fall out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've got a buddy that, that tells me it all changes at 40 and things start falling apart. So we'll see. Yeah. Some of us are lucky. It started falling apart in our early twenties during uh, college sports. So we didn't have to wait till 40 to see what was going to get screwed up. Um, okay. So explain to the people, the trip that, um, that I just did with my mom and my husband and our co-hikers that we met the day before Randall and uh, Joyce. And so on that particular trip, um, we had mule support uh, helping carry our, our items down. And we were going down the South Kaibab Trail, uh, which is 7.3 miles. And we're going up the Bright Angel Trail, which is nine and a half miles. And it's something that typically on a trip like that, I allot a, a one hour per mile uh, for, for each mile that we're on the trail. And it comes out to be about 40 or 45 minutes um, for that. And we spent both nights at a, a very historic spot in the Grand Canyon uh, known as Phantom Ranch. And um, it's a very special spot that's hitting its 100th anniversary this year and um, designed by an architect named Mary Jane Coulter. And uh, it's just a really, really special spot. You know, the, the place where we were hiking um, is unique because it's the third largest fault line in the Grand Canyon. And if you were hiking from one rim to the other, you would follow that fault line the entire way across. And wow. um, yeah, it, it's a, a really unique spot that less than 1% of people that come to the Grand Canyon uh, have the opportunity to go down there. Um, and so it, it actually um, is it's quite unique that you made it down there. 
lot of people only spend about an hour and 40 minutes at the Grand Canyon. That's the average time spent at the Grand Canyon anyway. Yeah. Hanging out at the rim and maybe doing a short hike down. Um, I was blown away when I saw that stat that it was, you know, eight tenths of 1% or whatever. in in the most recent calculations that actually get all the way to the bottom. Now, Phantom Ranch is cool because you can only get the t-shirt there. If you make it all the way down, you could send postcards that go up via mule and they're stamped and they say sent via mule from the bottom of the Grand Canyon. But it's also special because it's impossible to get a spot there. And so uh, we didn't get one. We had one that was wiped out by COVID. And uh, so we did the camping route. So the campsite we were at, Bright Angel Campground, is right next to Phantom Ranch. And we went to a program there. And the woman, Slim was her name, uh, said, what's also cool about it is that very same spot at the bottom of the canyon. People have been living there for 4,000 years. That's correct. There's a lot of archaeological sites that are in the area. Um, camouflage to the naked eye, you know, it's not something that, that just pops when you walk down there. Um, but, you know, along the river, uh, we saw the, the archaeological site that, that dated back to 1150 uh, yeah. AD. And um, so, you know, it's a, a really unique spot. It's a perennial water source with having Bright Angel Creek uh, flow into the Colorado River. And so it's something that anytime you find water, um, mm-hmm. you find a civilization that, that carved a life out for themselves beforehand. And what's cool too about it is, you know, for most of us who haven't thought about a lot of this stuff in a long time, maybe since geology class, you think about all the layers that are beneath you in the earth. Most of them are still down there. But when you go to the Grand Canyon, because of all of the tectonic shifts and volcanic activity and everything else, you're standing on and next to rock that is almost 2 billion years old. Whereas where we are in most of our life, you're standing on many, 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 many layers going all the way down. Um, and it's kind of fascinating to, to just stand there and be able to look and see millions, billions years of history, like layered up right next to you. That's right. Um, you know, our youngest rock layer in the Grand Canyon is 240 million years old. And by the time that you walk down to the very bottom, uh, when you get into the Vishnu schist and the Zoroaster granite, you're in rock that's 1.6 to 1.7 billion years old. And so the only other place in the world that you can find that exposed rock is in Black Canyon of the Gunnison in, in Colorado. Oh, wow. Um, all right. So we camp for two nights. Um, I briefly believe myself to be claustrophobic because I haven't been in a tent in such a long time, but I survived. And then uh, we start the hike back up. Tell me about um, having to get up so early and get started. And have you had a situation where you had to learn that that was uh, the only way to do it? Did you ever start too late and find the sun was going down as you're nearing the top or um, or it got too hot? Was that a trial by error for you or were enough guides that had let you know, like, you got to wake up at, at the crack? Well, it's something that, um, you know, you train with other guides for quite some time before you lead trips on your own. And, you know, you, you learn little tricks of the trade and you only make the mistake once uh, of <laughs> sleeping in. Right. Um, and so it's something that, uh, you know, if you were coming in the heat of summer, we had very pleasant weather on our trip. But if, if you were going to be coming and, and the end of May or the first of June, you know, those are really hot times. And so it could be that you wake up at three to have the group on the trail at five. That way you can be into your next camp by lunch. That way yeah. you're keeping people out of the heat of the day. And then, you know, you have a siesta in the afternoon and, and you're always making sure that you do trips 
next to a water source um, as well. Right. And so that's one of the elements that, that can kind of get you in the Grand Canyon. You know, the next couple of trips that I'm going to be doing, I'm going to very primitive areas that um, the, the trip is known as a Deer Creek Loop. And so uh, it's a five day trip, but on night one and night four, uh, there are no water sources. And so it's something that's very unique. It tends to kind of freak people out when I'm like, hey, I'm going to walk down this canyon for, for about 20 minutes and I'm going to go grab 20 liters of water for us. And, you know, I should be back within the hour. But, uh, you know, if I'm not, just walk down that canyon if you need something. <laughs> and they're like, wait a minute, you're going down this canyon that has, right. uh, you know, it's completely dry and it's 100 degrees outside. Yeah. And you're telling me you're going to come back with 20 liters of water. And, you know, it's just something that you learn. You learn where, yeah. where potholes are at that retain snow melt. And, and so they'll keep water for certain periods of time. That's crazy. Uh, you did have an instance once where you were busy trying to treat water for the people you were hiking with and forgot to put the tablets in your own. Uh, that is correct. <laughs> and that one is uh, a, bit, a bit recent. Uh, actually, it happened uh, in March of this year. And that was a, a very unique trip because, um, well, one, I got Giardia about oh. uh, 10 or 12 days after the trip. Uh, but I woke up on the, the second morning of that trip to a scorpion stinging me in my left ear at same 5 a.m. Oh. Uh, same trip. And so uh, that was my first trip of the season. So I really started out with a bang this year. <laughs> so the scorpion bit you in the ear. You said you weren't completely blind, but you were seeing spots for a couple hours. I was. Yeah, it, it didn't. Uh, I have heard of a scorpion. Uh, causing someone to have temporary blindness. But for me, I still had my vision. I just saw yellow spots in my left eye uh, for uh, three or four hours. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that you knew of another guide who was leading her group, got bit by a scorpion and, and went blind for almost a day and had to keep her cool and have them help her get them to a safe spot where someone else could come and help out. That's correct. When That's it, terrifying. When it, <laughs> when it, that is a, a different deal for me. I had a feeling, I didn't see the scorpion sting me, but I had a feeling that that's what it was. Um, and then after the numbness and the pain, I, I, I knew that, that I had been hit with a scorpion. Uh, but with that particular instance with, with the other guide, uh, that was something where she was sleeping and it fell uh, from the rafters uh, of this little ramada that she was under and it landed on her chest and she swatted at it and it stung her neck and uh, caused temporary blindness for about a day. And uh, what that company did, they handled it very well. Um, she was near a ranger station. So uh, she got a client to go to the ranger station. The ranger came down and then got in touch with her company and they sent uh, two other guides and one to stay with her and to escort her out when she was ready. And, you know, the show must go on. And so the, the five people had a new guide starting on day two to hike them across the Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's one of the reasons when I wasn't enjoying the tent with my giant husband, I thought maybe I'll go sleep outside. And I was like, you know what? No, I don't want to get bitten by a scorpion in my ear. <laughs> right. So I'm just going to suck it up and Brad's going to breathe on my face. Um, <laughs> OK, so you got the scorpion bite. And then later in that trip was the one where you accidentally forgot to treat your water. 
That is correct. Uh, and, and, you know, it's something sometimes you get so preoccupied with taking care of, of everybody else, you forget to take care of yourself. Right. And um, I filled my water bladder up, filled my bottle up. And um, I, I think I started addressing blisters on people and I never came back to treating my water. And I didn't even think about it until a couple of weeks later when I'm having some GI issues and it's like, I know exactly how this happened. <laughs> we'll get right back to the interview. But first, you got learn today. The word of the week is Elysian, uh, originally meaning the abode of the blessed after death in classical mythology. Uh, now also kind of referring to paradise or a place or state of bliss, felicity or delight. Uh, certainly a way to describe the bottom of the Grand Canyon and the state you're in when you're there. Bliss, felicity, and delight. Uh, from the 1590s, from the Latin and came into Latin from the Greek. In classical mythology, Elysium or the Elysian Fields was the home of the blessed after death, the sort of final resting place for souls of the heroic and the pure. So easily becomes exquisitely happy, full of the highest bliss as a more uh, generic meaning. So in a sentence... At the bottom of the Grand Canyon lies an Elysian Valley, birds chirping, deer nibbling on bushes, no sound but the babbling of the creek that feeds the colorful flowers and trees that contrast with the rust and brick-colored cliffs that stretch high above. Truly Elysian at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Now let's get back to the interview. We stuck to a trip that was near water and that was still as much as only 1% of people go all the way down. Um, it is trafficked enough that there's all sorts of solutions if something goes wrong, including helicopters and such that you don't want to use, but you know are there if something terrible happens. Um, you mentioned the mules. That was very helpful. Our packs only had to be about 25 or so pounds. Our clothes, our toiletries, our water, whatever. But the mules took down the tents and the food. And then we had you doing everything. You put up all the tents and cooked all the food. So five-star service uh, for sure. Um, so on the way back up, I want your honest opinion. You had been told by Randall on the way down the surprise news that he had no ACL and no hamstring. <laughs> Were you concerned about the way up? A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I always have someone's medical forms. Any information that you give to the, the company, they give me a trip folder and I have medical forms uh, because if there's ever an incident, then I want to be able to make a soap note on the back of your medical form and then pass it over to, to the medical crew that's going to come in and assist with whatever situation that may be. And, uh, you know, he, he was talking on the way down and, you know, we're committed at the point that I found out about this, like he's going down. Like, that's just what it is. And so, uh, you know, we stopped for lunch and I'm, I get the medical form out and I'm like, there is nothing on here that's talking about an ACL or a hamstring <laughs> or a heart condition. Well, and, that one didn't come up uh, till the way up. He saved that yeah, one for last. <laughs> yeah. But right when you didn't think you could get another curveball, there you go. Um, he actually, they, they did great. I was, uh, you know, they were very pleasant to be around. And yeah. so that makes it a lot easier. You know, sometimes you can take a different approach and, a look at it like, wow, you weren't forthcoming with the truth. And you can be a little resentful with that. Uh, but when somebody has the, the desire and the want to, to do the trip, uh, then, you know, they were probably scared that the company would say no and, and taking them down. And he's already a part of the trip. And so you got to keep <laughs> your head in the right spot. And um, they ended up doing great. And yeah, 
So uh, I feel like it was a, a much better experience on the way up than the way down. Yeah. And thankfully he believed that it would be better on the way up. As many have said, Oh, it's harder going down. I did not find it hard going down because uh, you know, the way up is the, is the cardio and the knees and everything in a different, in a different way than the way down. Uh, but thankfully it worked out, worked out for him, but we were on the way up when he mentioned the irregular heartbeat and the AFib. Uh, what was your reaction to that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that that's a whole different kind of scary. Uh, yeah. where, you know, with the ACL and, and the hamstring, um, you know, you can push through that, but when it comes to, to a heart condition, um, that that's the real deal. And so, um, I think that we found out about that somewhere around the halfway point. Right. And so, uh, that was just something where you don't want to get them to redline, you know, stay comfortable, go slow um, methodical pacing with how you're walking people. And that's really the key with any group going out. And so it, it wasn't a big deal because we only had five or so miles left. And so you just got to kind of keep it, keep it yeah. at a good RPM. Well, that's a good transition for some other uh, times that you've been taking a group down and either they failed to release everything on the report or the, they just didn't quite ready themselves. Let's talk about the 12 hour trip down. Tell us about that one. Uh, that was a very memorable trip uh, because, you know, a lot of times uh, with the places that I'm going, people will underestimate the, the terrain, uh, in particular, the Grand Canyon. Uh, people underestimate the Grand Canyon and they overestimate their ability. And during you guys only write it about 13 times on every piece of information, (laughs) all caps, strenuous, all caps, do the training, all caps. This is very serious. And somehow people still just, I got it. (laughs) Well, it's something that, you know, you see this with males in particularly because uh, men say (laughs) we like to lie to ourselves. We we like to think that we're still in the same shape we were in high school and college. Um, But you know, when you've been an accountant for 30 years, um, you're just not in the same form as you were in college. And this was kind of that scenario um, on, on this trip where I had someone that, you know, he signed up in the heart of COVID uh, he, he started out with a bang exercising and training for the trip. And then, you know, life kind of got in the way, so to speak, and the training stopped, but the trip was still coming. And, you know, it's a bucket list thing for, for a lot of my clientele. And, um, you know, he owned it. He, he told me straight up, you know, like, Hey, I, uh, I started out training for this and, and it just tapered off and I haven't done anything the last four months. And and here we are. And a sedentary job where he was sitting a lot. So that that didn't help. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. And so it was something that uh, by the time that I realized the circumstances, kind of the magnitude of the situation, it was too late. Uh, You get to a point where it's easier to go down than it is to turn around and come back out uh, in one day. And so um, we were past the halfway point. And so we had to go at that point. We just had to, to get down to the bottom and uh, it, it was himself and his grandson. And then I had uh, three uh, people that were in their mid to late 30s that were in shape. And, and they were great. They were very understanding of things. 
but when we got about two and a half miles from Phantom Ranch, um, it started to get dark. And so mm. I, I brought everybody together and uh, we, we made a plan and it, it was um, something where I had to give the ladies uh, turn by turn instructions for two and a half miles, how to get to the ranch. And uh, they got down and, you know, it, it was the only time in my career as a guide where I have not made dinner for a group because mm. uh, they were in a few hours before we were. But um, for the last two and a half miles of that trip uh, or, or that day, I should say, um, I carried my guide pack and I carried the gentleman's pack Oof. as well uh, because we had That's to what, get 60 there. something pounds together, maybe 70 altogether. Typically my bag, when I go out on a, a trip like that, that was a five day backpacking trip with five clients. Oh. And so uh, I'm looking at about 80 pounds uh, for, for that in my bag. And oh. then his backpack was probably uh, around 30 to 35 pounds. Oh, geez. So this was a five day one. Oh boy. It, okay. it was um, a lot of the trips uh, that we do in the winter and the spring where the North Rim doesn't open until May 15th. Uh, so when people want to get over to the North Rim, the easiest way to access it is from the south side. So uh, you do a rim to rim to rim. So you're going down one trail, um, typically the South Kaibab, up the North Kaibab, and then back across on the Bright Angel. Got it. Okay, so you get down there. I think you said you had a friend who was down at the Phantom Ranch that was able to set up tents and get a little bit ahead of the game for you with the gals, oh. but they just had to eat some snacks and go to bed, which, by the way, I'm thinking back to how nice it was to have a, a nice dinner cooked for us after the first day. You've been at it for eight hours or whatever. Uh, and so that's a bummer for them that they got down and, and someone else had to put everything together and send them to bed on some Doritos. And <laughs> Well, but it made all the difference in the world. Um, so uh, one of my best buddies, uh, his name is Matt. Uh, he also works for Four Season Guides. And uh, his girlfriend, Quinn, is one of the managers down at Phantom Ranch. And so uh, they have a little cabin down there. And Matt just happened to be uh, down there visiting Quinn. And I had a feeling that we were going to be in for a really long day uh, at about the halfway point. And so I shot him a text and said, you know, hey, I'll take any help you'll give me. Uh, and because our tents and air mattresses and everything went on on mule support, uh, we didn't have the ability to pull over on the side of the trail and emergency camp. All of the stuff that we needed was already down there. And so uh, Matt went down to camp and he set up the tents and the air mattresses. Uh, he met the ladies at the bridge that crosses the Colorado River and escorted him into camp and showed him nice. exactly where to go. And uh, when I came in uh, about three hours after him, uh, when I came to the Silver Bridge and I, Matt kind of gave me a little, you know, hey, how's it going? And I, <laughs> I knew that it was him. Uh, I, I think a little tear came out of my right <laughs> eye. Uh, it was just, it was the best thing ever. He was a huge right. help. Um, he always is, you know, he's, uh, he's my hiking partner whenever we go out and do um, big personal hikes. And yeah. so uh, he really saved the day on that trip. Well, I can only imagine if you're carrying, you know, a hundred pounds or whatever it is on your back that you were happy for the help. Okay. So then you left grandpa and grandson 
at the bottom and they hung out for a couple of days while you took the gals up the North Rim and back down. And then they joined you for Bright Angel to get back up, right? That is correct. And they uh, they had a really cush trip out of the deal because they ended up getting a cabin. And Oh, that's right. There and- was a last minute cancellation at Phantom Ranch, so they didn't camp at all. No. They hung out in a cabin and had steak dinner. And then, but, but did you have in the back of your mind the whole time that you were going to have to go back and see how he did on the way up? And were you worried? Uh, I was concerned. I actually, uh, anytime that we do a trip, uh, our, this, the company that I work for, uh, we always have someone on call. And so, uh, you know, whether I have cell service, which is rare, uh, or whether I have to get in touch with someone through my Garmin GPS device, there's always a lifeline that I can call for, for help. And so I, I called for the reinforcements thinking like, okay, um, somebody can come in and help carry uh, the weight of his bag. And um, he, he did surprisingly well uh, when we were walking out. Your reinforcement was like, uh, why did you call me? Do you need me? Uh, actually, yes, uh, he was. Uh, he, he met us at the halfway point and we were there uh, at a very reasonable time. You know, I got, even though it was winter and we didn't need to be starting at the crack of dawn, uh, I felt that we needed the extra time on the trail. So uh, when I met uh, Scott at the halfway point and it's 10 a.m., he's like, hey, you know, what, what's going on here? And mm-hmm. he didn't realize uh, the difficulty that I had on the front end of things. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was something where I'm like, uh, we got this. He's good to go. I've just watched right. Caterpillar become a butterfly. Like <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're fine. And uh, so he, he hiked out and wow. yeah, it ended up being just fine. Feels like maybe the lesson for the older folks is that the, the way down might be harder uh, because of joints and body parts as opposed to the going up. I'm surprised. It is. Well, look at it like this. Uh, regardless of, of whether you're a, a flatlander, you know, and you live at sea level or whether you live in a mountainous area, um, most people train for the uphill. There's no way to train for the downhill. And, you know, on our particular trip, uh, the South Kaibab trailhead is at 7,240 feet in elevation. And you're walking down to Phantom Ranch that is at 2,400 feet in elevation. Mm -hmm. And so it's an incredible, just, you know, perpetual downhill. And um, so the downhill tends to get people and, and the uphill is more of the cardio. And, And so it's easier for people to train on, on a Stairmaster or, or, you know, like I tell my dad, when he comes out to do trips, you know, he's coming from Mississippi. And so there's not a lot of elevation there. He lives at 400 feet above sea level. So when he goes to train, he goes to the high school football stadium and walks up and down the the steps of the football stadium with his backpack on. And that's how he gets ready for it. Yeah. Um, so you, you make it back up with uh, grandpa and grandson, they skip a little bit in the middle, but they, they get to the top. Um, we had a situation on, on ours where we, we saw someone at the bottom who was limping around by the campsite for two days. And you, you kind of pulled them aside to, to let him know that if he needed to take a helicopter out, it might be for the best. I don't know if you ever found out if he took it. Uh, did you hear from anybody if they had taken him out that day? I, I did not. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of like this. Uh, and, and my line of work, no news is good news. And <laughs> right. so by not hearing anything, I know that he got out okay, right. uh, one way or the other. I have a feeling that he probably was airlifted out of the, the canyon. His feet 
were were definitely um, uh, he had a lot of blisters and uh, he had a, a medical condition that I feel like probably limited his ability as well as he getting back to what I just said, he underestimated the terrain right. and overestimated his ability and wanted to go do that trip with his brother. And, you know, it ended up where he started out on a five day trip where he was walking from the South rim to the North rim and back to the South. And instead he walked down to, you know, down to Phantom ranch and spent three days. And I think, you know, got flown out from there. Let's talk about the doctors that you traveled with that inadvertently ended up helping someone other than themselves with the extra goodies that they packed. <laughs> One of the probably most memorable uh, clients, you know, made the, the top 10 list because uh, it's very rare you take someone out that's in their 80s. And um, this, this gentleman in particular was a retired cardiologist. Uh, he found out that you could do a rim to rim, uh, by his river guide, uh, that he had in the early, uh, 1960s. And, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, he found out from his river guide that you could walk from one side to the other. And it was something that he always wanted to do and, uh, tried to get the permit and it just never worked out. And so here it is. Um, at 83, he lined it up with the, the company and we had the pleasure of taking him across a uh, very unique gentleman. Uh, his family was incredible. Um, he had two daughters that were wildlife biologists in Colorado. And so um, they were schooling me and <laughs> the plants uh, of the Grand Canyon, you know, giving me Latin names of things <laughs> that don't bloom. And, right. <laughs> um, and then he also, his grandson was a professional rock climber and uh, that's who carried uh, all of his items. Uh, he did it with a day pack and his grandson carried his items for him. That's nice. And his son was a cardiologist as well. And um, I had no idea that his son was carrying um, two 500 milliliter uh, salt drips with him. And uh, we, were, we were four and a half miles into a 23 and a half mile walk. And we come across a 15 year old uh, and his mother and the 15 year old is in distress, uh, heat related. And uh, the kid needed salt, long story short. He needed salt and, you know, he couldn't hold anything down food-wise, which is pretty standard. Uh, when and, you're struggling like that. And, and I know you mentioned that a lot of people, they know they're supposed to drink a lot of water, but if you don't put enough salt in, the water can't get absorbed and then you can actually die from from pretty dangerous situation. You can. You can actually drink too much water. A lot of people don't realize that, but uh, you can get something called hyponatremia where you flood the system with water and you don't want to eat anything. Your salts get out of whack and uh, it can be deadly. And that's uh, kind of one of the weird desert things that you see uh, in the back country. And that's what we had going on. And so we needed to get some salt in the system of this kid uh, really quickly. And, you know, I start pulling the, you know, different items out that I, I feel like that, that maybe he could eat. And, and the guy pulls me to the side and he says, uh, you know, I have, I have two uh, salt drips. If we, you know, if we 
wanted to give it to him, but I'm concerned it's day one of four. What if my <laughs> father needs it? And I'm like, look, I've been doing this a long time and I have never needed anyone to get a drip on, on one of my trips. And so today is not going to be the day that we start, you know, <laughs> like it's not going to happen. And uh, so I took one of my trekking poles and extended it and uh, they have little uh, hand loops that go around your wrist. And so I took a carabiner and put on the end of the, the wrist strap and we started an IV on this kid. And within 15 minutes, uh, he was back to life and a wow. totally new person and was able to hike the four and a half miles back to the North Rim and didn't have to require uh, any other medical attention and involving the National Park Service. And so yeah. uh, it was the best case scenario. And then I got to, to do a rim to rim with the, the oldest client that I've ever taken out on a trip. And so, and he uh, did a great job. He did a wonderful job. He, he was a, a, a really cool guy um, to, to have someone on a trip that went down the Colorado river when it was truly wild. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 20 pre, years before you were alive. <laughs> that, that's right. Uh, pre Glen Canyon dam. And, and, you know, it was just something that it was, it was an accomplishment, you know, yeah. I mean, one thing that's kind of unique about my job here, it is, I'm 15 to 1600 miles away from my family, but, um, every week, uh, I get to, to be kind of like an honorary member of somebody else's family. Yeah. And so, uh, it was a, a really cool thing to, to get to take him on a trip. And you get about 30% of your clients are people who come back and want to hang out with you some more. So you do kind of end up being a part of people's lives, especially people who book trips with you over and over again, which is super cool. That's right. And, um, you know, the, the trip that I spoke of earlier where I'm headed to Canyonlands National Park, uh, that's something that uh, these, uh, that particular family, um, they are coming from all over the U.S. and they meet and we're either going to Grand Canyon, Yosemite, uh, Canyonlands National Park. And, and so it, it's really neat to get to meet people that typically I probably wouldn't hang out with in my, my everyday life. And so it, it, it like helps you learn about yeah, um, just sure. what else is out Different there. Different people. Yeah. yeah. It keeps you open-minded and non-judgmental and accepting when you, when you have so many different kinds of people coming through all the time. Um, my favorite part of the story about the, uh, the kid that got the IV though, is that you gave them an emergency blanket and you told them to leave it at the top. And then what happened? Uh, well, that's a million dollar question. I never got that back. So, uh, if they're part of your listening crowd, yeah, yeah, yeah. people don't forget if someone <laughs> saved your son's life on a trail with an impromptu IV and then gave you an emergency blanket and then gave you information about where to leave it so they could get it back. And you never did just turn yourself in. It's not too late to do yeah, the right thing. That's right. <laughs> you can still, you could still do it. Um, okay. So quickly, uh, what happened on the trip two days after hours? I feel like this is going to make my particular family look really great because we didn't have any problems. You know, we we made it. And then uh, and then, you know, people take it for granted who've never gone. But two days later, you had a trip that not everyone came out. Yeah, it's always an interesting uh, group dynamic when you start with five people and you end with three. <laughs> and so, uh, and th this was a best case scenario, you know, it was a in-house rescue. I called, you know, my, my person, my support staff and, you know, we, we had someone 
meet at a designated location where I had them hanging out in the shade. Uh, we had a good plan together. And so they were able to hike out with someone carrying uh, their backpack for them. And so in this particular circumstance, uh, someone drove up from Flagstaff, hiked in and with an empty backpack, plenty of water and Gatorade, and then took all their stuff, put it in their bag and, and just escorted them out. And, you know, the, the show must go on. And so uh, the rest of the group, we, we had four and a half miles to cover. Um, so we continued on down to the bottom. So this was the same trip as ours. Same exact so trip They were as about yours. three miles or so down the first trail when they realized it wasn't going to happen. Uh, I had to make that call for them. I mm. brought a couple of concerns that I had to their attention. And um, I'm very good at reading people's body language and their mannerisms. And, you know, the, the nervous sips of water, the shaky legs when you're, when you're mm. um, standing still, but your legs keep moving kind of thing. Mm. And, uh, she assured me she was okay. And we walked for about another mile and a half and we got to the three mile marker. And I, I noticed that she fell for the the third time and her friend was, um, trying to kind of be a brace behind her, absorb some impact. She fell backwards. And so I just had to make the judgment call where, Mm. uh, Hey, this is a matter of safety at this point. And, and she agreed. And so we got her to a, a, a good location in the shade and somebody came in from the top and, and hiked her out. Wow. And so I'm she didn't fight it at all? She was... Um, initially, she did not uh, want to listen to what I have to say, but she also understood the kind of the gravity of this situation. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I told her, I'm not trying to be mean. Um, this is something that... If you want to do this, you now know what to expect. Come back and, and do it again. But right now is not the time. And uh, luckily, the five people in the group, they were all together. And mm. so it made it where one of her friends who was not struggling chose to walk with her back out. Um, just that way, it, she would have somebody with her. And, to hang out yeah. while the trip finished. That yeah. was nice of that person. What a bummer for her. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like she'll be back and, you know, that'll be something that uh, we'll definitely uh, make sure that we take real good care of her if she yeah. does choose to come back. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's the most scared you've been? Because you kind of are, like you said, you're like a family member. Uh, you mentioned at one point you were a therapist as a guy spent the remainder of a hike 
alone with you explaining how he was going to dump the girlfriend he brought on the trip as soon as they got to the top. So that's that's being a therapist. Then you also have the job of being a doctor at times and treating people and trying to understand what's going on with their bodies and, and mentally, whether they're OK. Um, but also just I mean, at any moment, something terrible could happen and it's all on you. That's a lot of stress. It can be, um, especially when the you know, when it's someone that you care about. Um, and you have a relationship with uh, that, that adds that extra degree um, to it, that extra variable. And so, you know, my, my scariest moment that I've ever had uh, as a, a backcountry guide um, happened with a client that I've probably done a solid 15 trips with. Um, she's uh, a wonderful woman from Portland named Anne. And um, Anne has an eye disease that's causing her to go blind. And she loves the Grand Canyon. Uh, it's a great way to, for her to, to kind of escape. She's a, a painter. And um, so she likes to, to do paintings uh, as we go. And that's cool. yeah, it is. It, it really is, especially when she sends them to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But in this particular circumstance, um, it was a trip that was very difficult, the Deer Creek Loop that I spoke of earlier. And we were on day three of the trip. And uh, with Anne's eyes, her depth perception is off. And so she took a step down, underestimated the step, and took a fall. And we have a, a, a very prickly plant in the Grand Canyon called the Utah Agave. And she missed a Utah agave spine uh, by about three to five millimeters and it would have gone in her right orbital socket uh, had she hit it, uh, but she didn't and her head hit the ground and it was something where I was assessing the situation. Um, the, the bridge of her nose was still in alignment and, uh, you know, the, the main thing I was dealing with was a lot of bleeding. It was a very hot day, so you bleed more when it's hot. Ugh. And so we were addressing that. We were only half a mile from camp, so we get her into camp. And, you know, I still thought that there was a possibility of a concussion. Um, so, you know, I, I woke her up uh, every, every hour on the hour um, that evening. And no bruising under the eyes, no raccoon eyes or anything. And then I let her sleep in the morning. She's typically an early riser because she loves her coffee. <laughs> and uh, when she stepped out of the tent, uh, she, she had raccoon eyes. She looked like mm. she'd just been in a boxing match. And so I knew that, that she had possibly had a broken nose um, and there just wasn't airway restriction. And so she was able to breathe just fine. But it's still an automatic evac at that point. Um, and, and doing a head to toe assessment on her, uh, I noticed that she had discoloration behind her ears, uh, which is a, a tail sign of intracranial pressure going up, uh, which there's nothing I can do to relieve that on the trail that's above the scope of, of practice for me. And so I made the, the call for a helicopter and the National Park Service was there in record time. Um, they extracted her. And um, it was actually quite funny. Uh, towards the end, uh, you know, they, they made her more comfortable um, for the flight. 
but you know, Anne is a smaller woman and uh, to get on the helicopter, they put you in a flight suit that are unisex, one size fits all. Uh, so when you're five, two, five, three, 120 pounds, uh, it was gigantic on her and it was green. And because it was green, it reminded her of Christmas. So she started singing uh, a Christmas song. And uh, it was something where uh, we left on a high note because I knew that I was giving her uh, to people that could get her to definitive medical care and take good care of her. But when she's singing and smiling, yeah. um, you know yeah. that you've left them in the right way. Meanwhile, the helicopter people are like, wow, she really hit her head. She's sing it's yeah. just singing yeah. Christmas songs. <laughs> right. It's not Christmas, lady. Yep, um, it's August. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, we're running out of time. So I need you to tell the story of um, this trip that you and your friend Matt that you mentioned, who does your personal fun hikes for fun, uh, what you're trying to achieve and probably the biggest hiccup that you've had uh, while trying to make that great feat accomplished? Uh, well, what we're trying to do is uh, walk the length of the Grand Canyon. And uh, as of right now, there's only about 33 people that have walked it for, uh, from east to west, doing a traverse across it. And um, Matt and I, uh, we were doing a, a, a particular section of the, the canyon where it's known as the Butte Fault Route. And, and you don't do it all at once. You're doing this all in chunks. We're doing it in chunks. Uh, we have the desire to do it in one clean push, but oh. it's hard to, to dedicate uh, 55 to 60 days in order to do it. Uh, so realistically, the handful of people that have done it, they do it in sections in order Got to it. put it together. And so this particular section uh, I believe it was about 80 miles, most of which is off trail. You take the Nankaweep Trail down, which is a, about 12 miles uh, on a path, and then your map and compass moving in a general direction following a fault system that runs east to west. Wow. And so um, I was on the last day of uh, this trip, December 2nd. Um, I know this because it was Matt's birthday mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I stepped on a, a, a pretty good sized boulder in Vishnu Creek and the sand on the underside of the boulder that was holding it to the wall, uh, gave way. And as I lifted my left foot up and, and stepped down into the Creek, uh, the rock rolled forward and it broke my calcaneus and my fourth metatarsal bone on my left foot. And uh, this was a, a day that there was some weather that came in early morning and we had high winds. And so I walked on it for a little while. Matt pulled me to the side and said, hey, you know, this is why we have emergency services. And I knew that it, it wasn't something that the helicopter could fly. And I knew with my, my previous background in radiology that I had one big push ahead of me. And once I stopped moving, that my, my foot was going to swell to the point that I wouldn't be able to walk. Uh, and so uh, long story short, uh, we walked for, for 18 miles from the time of the Ugh. incident uh, until we got to Phantom Ranch. And, um, you know, nine of those miles were on trail. The other nine were, were off trail. And Ugh. it was quite the experience. He, uh, he never left my side. And that just is kind of a... A testament to him because December 2nd is Matt's birthday 
and we had a special meal was brought in by Mule to, to celebrate his birthday at Phantom Ranch. And we had a party uh, planned for the 14 employees plus us. And we were supposed to arrive uh, between five and six that evening. And we arrived at, at about 1230 in the morning. Um, mm. And so it was a very long day, but it was a, a memorable day. And um, like I said, he never left my side. And that's huge. A lot of people think that that's common sense, but people sometimes can get more goal oriented with what they're trying to achieve and lose the human aspect of things. And here it is. He stayed with me step for step going painfully slow um, for 18 miles. So I definitely will never forget that. Did you kind of black out a little bit and get used to the pain or did you have drugs with you or was it just pretty miserable for the next uh, eight hours or whatever it was? It was something where I definitely don't remember everything. There's some gaps right. um, for, for multiple hours. One thing that I do remember, uh, we got to a spot called Clear Creek. And it was right before dark. And this is roughly our halfway point. And so uh, the, we got to this stone marker. Uh, people stack stones about four high to, to form a Karen or a Karen. And um, it's the way in the desert that you say, hey, let me catch your attention. This is the way down because you're following these natural breaks in the rock right. formations. And so uh, we had to do some down climbing, uh, which was painful with my oh, foot. Yeah. And, and then we got into Clear Creek and Matt said, so I started unpacking my bag and Matt said to me, so I'm assuming that, that we're going to stay the night here. And I was like, absolutely not. I have one packet of oatmeal to eat. So I need to get my stove out in order to, to cook it. And then, you know, we're going to take off and we're going to head into the ranch. And he's like, oh, okay. All right. And um, <laughs> whatever you, know, you say, boss. <laughs> yeah. We, we made our push into the ranch and uh, I hung out there for, for three days and then it became uh, a matter of like, hey, your foot is not getting any better. You can't walk out. There's a winter storm that's coming in. Uh, pack your bags. There's a helicopter that'll be here in 30 minutes to take you out. And so I ended up uh, getting flown to the rim. Uh, the ranger uh, dropped me off at my vehicle. And since it was my left foot, I was able to drive myself back <laughs> to Flagstaff and, and go to the doctor um, the following day. And you didn't want the helicopter, I can tell. Uh, it, it's something that you always wonder what a helicopter ride from the bottom to the top is like, and you want to be, uh, you want it until you have to have it. Right. And once you get it, there's the, the, what if scenarios that, that come in where like, you know, what if this is it? What if I'm done? What if I can't do my job anymore? Mm. Um, you know, am I going to have the residual pain that's always going to be associated with a, the broken foot? And it was a best case scenario. Uh, I actually led a trip of, about seven weeks later. Um, and wow. so it ended up working out. Yeah. Did you have the uh, pork chops and applesauce sent down for Matt's birthday dinner? Did you have them the next day? Uh, I did not, but I also could not leave the Phantom Rancher's house. Um, there were no crutches. Uh, and so uh, I had two yellow wiffle ball bats that <laughs> I limped around their house and they brought me uh, nice. food uh, to their place. 
so I I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to say someone, yes. Someone probably, ate it. Yeah. I would say that Matt and Quinn probably ate that the following day. Yeah, that was one of the interesting things. I guess you don't think about it until you know for sure that the only way to get things down there is really to hike them down. Maybe a mule, if there's mules already going down for another purpose, you can stash an extra thing. But you can't just willy-nilly decide you want something when you live at the bottom of the canyon. Someone has to bring it. So you brought some maker's mark down for some for some friends down there as a thank you when you brought us down. Uh, if someone's got a birthday, you got a specially plan to bring something like pork chops and stuff down. Otherwise, uh, they really make do with the stuff that's already down there and the occasional ask from someone that they know is coming down, right? That's right. I mean, it's something that everything is well organized. And so uh, there are 12 mules a day that take supplies in and out of the Grand Canyon. And so, you know, uh, you talked about how you can mail postcards from there. It's the most primitive mail route in the U.S. And so, um, you know, all your trash, recycling, uh, mail, uh, any food, you know, the steak dinner is a big thing to have down at Phantom Ranch when you line it up far enough in advance. And so all the steaks, the salad, everything that goes down to the ranch is brought in by a mule and the same for taking it out. The, the only way that they would not use mules is if it's too heavy. Um, so like right now they're doing some construction down at Phantom Ranch and uh, they, they brought in a Chinook to a <laughs> helicopter in order to, to bring in some heavy equipment for digging. And, um, you know, everything is, is by mules. It's wild. It's, Old school yeah. way of doing it. Well, and everybody who works there climbs down and back up at the end of whatever guide thing they're doing, or if they're done with a couple months shift or whatever, they oh, yeah. hike yeah, on up out sure. of there. And I mean, they have, uh, it's as normal of a nine to five job as you can get for being at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Typically they work 10 days on, four days off. And so uh, whenever they get done with their shift, uh, a lot of times they try to plan it where on their Friday, they're done at lunch so they can hike out to the rim. Uh, and then, you know, they're, they're going to, to Prescott or Flagstaff or, or Phoenix, you know, wherever they, they live outside of the Grand Canyon. That's wild. Well, we had a blast and we were so grateful that we ended up booking with Four Season and not just doing it ourselves. It made it a whole lot easier to not have to buy all the gear and know all the things ourselves and to have have your guidance. So we all made it down and back up in one piece. Surprisingly, much less sore than we thought. Uh, I have a shin splint, uh, which there's really nothing I could have done about that one. That was uh, the one body part that didn't come in already injured is the one that left injured. So that's oh you know, go figure. Uh, but you know, the old lady and Brad, of course, are, are doing great. So that's good. <laughs> Brad's one and done. I, I would have yes. said that he, that was his first and last hike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy went not really liking camping, cardio, hiking, uh, you know, all that. So he did a good job. You owe him a beach vacation. He I did. Do. He did a great job and he was a pleasure to be around. Yeah, and I yeah, still yeah. have your mother's hiking stick. I Good. haven't out what I'm going to do with it, but I will keep you posted because she will be very fun. grateful that it goes to good use. She took the time to whittle it and she didn't want it to go to waste, but it That's was very expensive could, to ship. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell her not to take it. I wanted to give her trekking poles, but yeah. when she told me she whittled it herself, I'm like, yeah, you're taking that obviously. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. Uh, well, thanks for chatting, Jeremy. Uh, we'll do this again sometime years down the road when you've accumulated some more stories of uh, near fatalities and other you know, missing body parts. Excellent. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. 
This is a place for rants, raves, and everything in between. Sometimes I'll complain. Sometimes I'll share a great story, tell you something to read or watch. Today, a couple updates from a few Do Crew folks who had some progress. Uh, let's start with Ross, who actually sent in a, a voice memo. Uh, Ross is working to uh, write his own cookbook. Here's what he said. Hey, Sarah. First off, wanted to congratulate you on your Grand Canyon adventure. That's awesome. Can't wait to hear about it. On my end, I've finished writing out the first wave of recipes and food ideas I had, just kind of stored in my head based around things I like, things I eat regularly. Problem is when I was done, I realized I only had about like 15 things, 18 things, and uh, that's not necessarily a cookbook. So guess I don't really eat a whole lot of things. Now, here comes the hard part of finding new inspiration and new ideas from kind of anything, local specialties, favorite, you know, food TV shows, YouTube, even uh, the dreaded TikTok. It's all on the table. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, just keep experimenting. Keep trying new recipes. That sounds like such a fun project to be a part of is uh, uh, to get to learn all the new things that you're going to be into. Uh, Katie Shelley, she's the one who's learning Welsh, said this month has been a little tougher than the last. Quote, April is my busiest month at work. Haven't been making the time to actually study. I know how quickly I can let that become an excuse. So I've been trying the last few days to be more intentional. And while I'm not 100% back on track with where I want to be, I'm getting back to it. And right on schedule, I've learned a very accurate sentence. I don't like meetings. I would love to hear that in Welsh. Uh, thank you, Katie. Keep at it. Uh, and don't get discouraged. Those tough, busy work months uh, get in the way sometimes, but keep at it. Uh, Sarah Steinman wrote in. She said, I'm officially signed up for the Philly Women's Triathlon, scheduled for July 10th. Found an eight-week training plan I'm going to follow. Set to start day one of training May 16th. In the meantime, getting back in the pool, adding swim workouts to my weekly routine and running regularly. Don't enjoy biking as much, so struggling to get out for a ride. But I did dust off the cobwebs and put the air in the tires of my bike this week. So that's a start, I guess. Uh, that's absolutely a start. That's step one. Can't ride the bike with cobwebs on it and no air in the tires. So step two, get on it and ride it. Uh, also, I'm like impressed that the biking is your least favorite part. The swimming of a triathlon would be the absolute no for me. Open bodies of water, people, you know, racing no thanks uh but yeah get get on that bike uh doug says he's still plugging along with his wellness goals said he added a group therapy support group offered by his employer to help folks address anxiety and they meet every uh every other week his first session was last friday and he felt a great impact already love that absolutely love that um and for the folks who shared struggles and setbacks that they didn't have a, a good update to offer, just keep at it. You know, it's not a straight line to a new lifestyle or a new skill or a new habit. You got to understand how tough it is to make that lasting change and change your approach and your schedule. So you got to be kind to yourself, but you also have to set yourself up for success by planning ahead. Um, you know, you got to block time off to practice or be creative or write or work out or otherwise. Life is always going to find a way to eat everything up and, and take over your day unless you make that effort in advance. So stick with it. Um, last couple things today. Uh, some unsolicited and unpaid uh, promotion for my guys at Four Season Guides. They were just so great. FSGuides.com. Go check out their trips, uh, maybe, you know, Grand Canyon, Utah, Yosemite, Sedona. Find a spot and and go do something adventurous. They were really awesome. Um, and listen, if it's not that kind of adventure, just find something that's outside your comfort zone. 
um, a rafting trip, a restaurant that has uh, cuisine that you've never tried before, a workout class that looks cool, but you've kind of been scared to try. Just go for it. You know, that new perspective, that new experience will be well worth it for you. And as I've talked about on this pod before, uh, we do settle into things that we're proficient at as we get older and we we resist learning new things. We resist being uncomfortable. We resist uh, being novices. Um, and that that perspective and that reminder whenever we do that is, is huge. So you can always tweet me at Sarah Spain. Give me guest suggestions. Give me a dilemma, whatever. Uh, and you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe, follow. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Rate it five stars, please. And give me a nice review. Uh, it's really important. And uh, maybe your review will get read on the next pod. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 